Um, you want to talk about that? I'm trying to see if any of these are... Gotham. Do you say Court of Owls? Yes. Okay. That's what I thought you said. <laughs> but they're not words that necessarily go together, so I wasn't sure. Not, not to you. Boys and girls, your attention, please. Presenting a new exciting radio program, faster than an airplane, more powerful than a locomotive, impervious to bullets. Hello and welcome to The Thought Bubble, a podcast about comics and comics-adjacent culture. I'm Joanna Robinson. And I'm Dave Gonzalez. If you're just joining us for the first time, we're here to answer your questions about all things comics. Dave here is our so-called expert, and I'm your friendly neighborhood novice. But this podcast is meant for comics lovers of all levels. If Dave wants to go in-depth or spoilery about a particular answer, he'll do so in our advanced section that comes at the end of each episode with ample warming. So don't worry. If you have a question for us, please shoot us an email at bubbleyourthoughts at gmail.com. You can find all of our old episodes at fightinginthewarroom.com slash comics. So without further ado, let's get on with the show. Hello and welcome to the Thought Bubble. It's Wednesday, September 23rd. This is issue number 28. Hello, Dave. Hello. We were just here. We were here less than a week ago. Like, this is unprecedented for us this summer, I feel like, getting, having two episodes so close to each other. Summer. Summer is over. Summer's Welcome over. Welcome to the fall, fall schedule. <laughs> um, so we are going to kick off by talking about some of the reading that we mentioned we were going to do last week. We're saving the Flash reading uh, for next week's discussion. Next week, I believe, is going to be the, the Speedster special episode. Um, but I've had a couple people ask me to repeat again which Flash book I will be reading. And what I will be reading is Wally West Year One, which is Volume 2, 60 through, 62 through 65. So Wally West Year One, Volume 2, 62 through 65, is what I will have read for the episode next week. Dave will have read far more, and we will be talking all about speedsters and what to expect on The Flash. Um, a couple t- TV writers I know already have the first episode of Season 2, and they say it's amazing. So here we go. It also came along with things they couldn't spoil in like an email. Mm. So there's things, things. Things are coming. Um, But this week we are going to talk about Captain Marvel White by Jeff Lowe. America. Captain America. Oh, sorry. Captain, damn it. Captain America. Salute. Uh, White uh, by Jeff Loeb. Uh, We read the first, it's a trade, right? Collected. issues of that and it is captain america's backstory is told like it starts with captain america waking up and then he's reflecting back and it's all about losing bucky and okay good you got the bucky. version that also has issue zero there's actually two issues that are out so i was kind of lied to you but it, the digital version has issue zero packaged with issue number one yeah so we both we both read the same thing yes and um it tells a different uh, a, a substantially different story of, of Bucky and Steve uh, than what we get in the films. Uh, it might be classy, classic bu- Bucky and Steve. In fact, I suspect it is given the styling on Bucky's costume. Um, but it is not Sebastian Stan and Chris Evans. Um, do you want to talk about the differences a little bit more, Dave? Oh, it's much back to the uh, original pairing as they appeared when Captain America was fighting uh, World War II and punching punching Hitler and whatnot, uh, where he is a younger boy. Um, I guess he's like five, five yeah. to eight. Oh, yeah, Bucky is like five to eight. 
uh, years younger and is, uh, I think, hanging out around the military base where uh, Captain America trains as Steve Rogers. And uh, differences from, like, the movie, but are from the comic is there's still a um, secret identity aspect to uh, Steve Rogers and Bucky's younger. And this is... Yeah, that's... That threw me for a second, the fact that Steve had a secret identity, and I didn't, like, uh, you know, they don't, hmm. <laughs> There's no footnote that's like, hey, Joanna, in this version, Steve and Cap aren't known to be the same person, uh, so it took me a little while to cotton on to that. Right, uh. there's just, like, one panel where they're like, and we're shipping out tomorrow with Captain America, and he's like, oh, well, he's a, he's a swell guy, and they're like, shut it, Rogers. Right, but I thought he was being, I thought he was being, like, dry, like, hey, Cap's not so bad. I'm Cap, you know? Um, Sorry, so I was a little dim. All right, so yeah, so Bucky's a teenager, Steve is uh, Captain America, but not, uh, but the Howling Commandos don't know it. All right. Right, and yeah, the Sergeant Fury and the Howling Commandos are there, so that's been sort of uh, looped together into a... modern marvel continuity i guess they didn't they didn't like hang out as much uh, in the comics so this is going to be the story i think of captain america's relationship to bucky maybe his buckies if um it follows through for a couple more issues and we get to see the other the other versions uh but it, it reads uh, sort of like being about jeff Loeb's um son sam who uh, died of cancer at the age of 17 in 2005 and uh, because it's all this flashback about uh, thus far it's just been a flashback yeah. of steve rogers regret for putting bucky in the situation uh where he would uh, die and in this case it's because everybody wants to go to war which uh, was sort of also impetus in you know the Captain America movie, but here also translates over to Bucky, and Steve Rogers sort of sees himself, or the 90-pound weakling version of himself in Bucky, and figures that he can't ship over, so why not let him co-fight Nazis with a secret identity? And uh, this first issue zero sort of frames uh, the idea that there's going to be a Bucky and that he's going to be harmed. And issue one sort of uh, gives Bucky his costume and sends them out on their first missions. Bucky's costume is really dorky. FYI. That's a a classic costume. Um, Yeah, no, I I know. Um, It's like, well, it's like when I was reading Squirrel Girl and they did this like flashback to a team up between squirrel girl and captain America, like a classic team up and they changed the style to look like that. And it's really hard for me. I know that this is like, what did they call it? Silver age, right? It's not the golden the, age. Oh, oh I mean, it, uh, it's, it's switching back and forth, but okay. this is more a silver age understanding of cap. So let's yeah. go with that. Okay. Um, yeah. And, and I joked, I, I texted to Dave earlier when I was reading it jokingly, you know, Bucky and, and Steve are way gay together because when they, they show up, they're both on the same motorcycle. It looks so much like ambiguously Ace and Gary and ambiguously gay duo with like Bucky, you know, standing up behind Steve on his motorcycle. Um, and then later they're like shaving together. Um, and, right, you know, right when that happened, I was like, oh, my God, this is so gay. And then the next panel, I think Steve was like, why are you shaving, Bucky? You're too young to shave. And I was like, oh, oh, no, this is not this is not gay. This is like father son, which it definitely it feels more like father son. It's very sentimental. I didn't know until, you know, right before we started recording the backstory of Jeff Loeb and his son. So I, I, I am inclined to be more indulgent of the sentimentality uh, in in the book, knowing that. But. Uh, you know, it's a lot of very sort of 
maudlin Captain America voiceover um, on the, on the action. And then the action itself is a little, a little stayed, you know, I just might be spoiled by super modern, but this, you know, this is just a definite throwback. Um, and since it doesn't tie very well into the film understanding I have of Captain America, and that's not a requirement for a comic book. I'm just saying either it needs to be sort of modern and interesting for me, probably, or have nostalgia ties to the film version that I like for me to get super excited or just probably be really well done. But I, I'm just not really feeling this book very much. How are Interesting. You I mean, you it, it's very much like the other uh, ones in the color series. Mm-hmm. I mean, specifically uh, Spider-Man Blue, because that's the character I was most connected with, is uh, Peter Parker talking into a tape recorder, basically apologizing to Gwen Stacy for four issues. As you know, we sort of see the lead up of their relationship and then her death and sort of how it affects Peter. So this is very reminiscent of that for me. Uh, Daredevil Yellow and Hulk Gray also sort of focused on a romance. This one, it looks like they just switched out the romance for like this father-son thing, which could be interesting. Uh, depending on where they take it, especially if they take it to, like, you know, I had this son-like relationship with the first Bucky, and then, like, America expects me to be okay with, like, pretending like that first one never died. Like, I think there's a lot of interesting places to go with uh, the expectation of being Captain America versus having one real relationship that uh, ties you to, uh, like, a real life, which is weird that Sergeant Fury's in it, but we'll, I guess, deal with that in later later issues. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. It has potential, but it also could go into schmaltzy really fast. And uh, these books aren't always centered on the action either, and so I'm really interested to see how they make use of uh, their banner color, white uh which is usually associated with blank space which is usually something not seen in tim sale comics so uh yeah i'm I'm interested i'm interested but uh it's it is picking up a little slowly the other thing i'll say is that it starts with a bunch of avengers crowded around um cap as he wakes up and is that hank pym enormous yeah giant man okay giant man i didn't know anything about giant man so you know, um, they referred him as Hank, and I was like, oh, I guess in some versions Ant-Man gets big. So, giant man. There you go. Um, yeah, so that's Captain America White. Is there anything else we want to talk about in terms of that? Um, no, I think we'll, we'll pick it up on uh, issue two. All right, sounds good. Uh, we're going to swing on over to another Marvel hero. Actually, this, is, this might end up being an all-Marvel podcast i apologize but we'll uh, do a speedster episode and like oh yeah okay we'll i don't get know DC how all deep our into that we're week. gonna get but like oh <laughs> man there's like you're gonna have to forgive me next week for being thing saying things like and then iris sends somebody back from the future and like not having time to stop over and explain that because there's no just like a lot it's of, there's gonna, a lot well it's gonna be my job to try to organize all of your thoughts okay so <laughs> that's that's a task i will undertake super um, fun but before before we get there, uh, we will get to Dave's favorite uh, character, which who is of course uh, Spider Man. Excuse me, Spider Man. And um, Dave, just how much of a teenager will Spider Man be in the next Spider Man film or or the Avengers film that he shows up in? He's going to be fifteen, says John Watts, who is directing the Sony Spider Man crossover movie. Uh, you know, and we know that Tom Holland. Is Tom 19. Holland, right? Yes. Because 
you know, my brain always wants to say Hollander, but it's Holland. Um, Tom Holland is 19, but he's a, he is a diminutive fellow. I, I, he could pass for 15, I think. He is. And they want to keep him 15 because then you get all of high school. Yeah. So, um, I, and they're also, they also included in this uh, interview, it's in Empire Magazine, uh, he said that there's only so many times you could kill Uncle Ben, so it looks like we are actually not seeing Uncle Ben die this time. Like, Marvelous. It's like, it's like uh, the Waynes and Uncle Ben, we're done seeing them die. Well, you let me know when we're done seeing the Waynes die. We've still got one more movie of watching that happen. I know, I know. Okay. Um, all right, and then the other Spider-Man news we have is just um, Mark Webb, who directed the first two, um, was, you know, in some versions of this world, supposed to get a trilogy, a trilogy of Spider-Man films, and only got two. Uh, just basically said, it, it sort of made peace with it sort of way, Maybe we'll all be on a panel someday. Sam, Raimi, me, and whoever directs it, John Watts, was announced as director after this interview. So just saying that, like, maybe someday there will be a panel with the three Spider-Man directors of this era. Uh, I want them all to write a book together, actually. Ooh, actually, I want to throw something in that's I did not pre-screen by you, but io9 also got to talk to Drew Goddard who said that his Sinister Six movie is in no continuity. And so he says it might just be a matter of time before they just like dust that off and throw that back into the, into the mix again. Awesome. So uh, maybe Drew Goddard could also join that panel. Cause I want to know what he did for like the year after Cabin in the Woods, when he was attached to like every pro- project from like the Martian to Spider-Man to Daredevil and like ended up doing none of them. <laughs> Oh man, what happened to you, Drew Goddard? Um, maybe it was the drugs, or maybe it was the women. I mean, yes. maybe he just did my dream job, which is be the second writer on every successful movie, and you know, live that way. Live that dream. Nobody knows your name, but you touched everything. <laughs> but we know Drew Goddard's name. We've seen Cabin in the Woods. We maybe own it on Blu-ray. It's fine. Um. I lied. We do have one DC uh, item of interest, which is, Dave, what is happening on Gotham this season that has got you excited this week? They're going to introduce the Court of Owls. What is that? It is a shadow organization that opposes uh, Batman and the Waynes, just good in Gotham, um, uh, that was introduced by Scott Snyder in his first New 52 volume that was pretty sweet. And so they're fairly new villains, but it's a nice idea in having like a uniform, I guess, like new gang sort of, but like a classy gang that also has some theatricality. But, you know, it's owls. It's like a a night fowl as opposed to a night rat. So it's like Batman parallel. <laughs> night rat. <laughs> That's the name of my Batman knockoff. Night rat. Night rat. Yeah. <laughs> um, great. I think we see them, do they dress uh, like owls? Um, the, the, the members of the Court of Owls wear a white mask that sort of doesn't have anything on it, but is shaped sort of like a beak with I, big eyes. Okay, I think we've seen them in a, in a trailer. No, I haven't seen those masks, but maybe I'm wrong. Um, anyway. I'm, okay. I'm just psyched because that is the beginning of Snyder's version of Batman being like massaged into the overall 
mythology, which is pretty great because, as I mentioned before in this podcast, that's that's a Batman I could stick behind. We're in we're at peak Batman right now. Peak Batman. All right. Um, all right. And now we are going to, uh, unless Dave objects, which I don't think he does, we're going to swerve on over to this other big story, big comic book story that broke this week. That's actually a follow up to a conversation we started last week. I feel like our conversation was very prescient and. Um, I want to continue it. The news is that um, Tanahasi Coates, who is a great writer for Atlantic and has written um, a, bo- a recent book that was wonderful, um, has been signed on to write a Black Panther uh, comic. Yeah. This is enormously great news um, because Tanahasi is not only just a great writer on on issues of of like race primarily political history that sort of stuff but he's also just this huge comic book nerd that anyone who follows him on twitter already knows this about him and he and he did a panel um i want to say a year ago with um the creator of of kamala khan uh that was really interesting so just um He's been engaged in a very active way in diversity in comic books for a while. So the fact that they tapped him as a creative, I think, was a really smart move on Marvel's uh, part. So uh, we want to talk a little bit more about what Dave coined, I think, last week. He called it a Marvel reckoning with their black audience. Um, So talking about this Black Panther move and then just some of the other things that we didn't touch on last week. Um, I want to read this this bit. from David Brothers, who uh, used to do some writing for Marvel, actually, at least for Marvel.com. Uh, and now he's on Image Comics. And when the hip-hop-themed covers that Marvel did uh, came out earlier this year, there was actually a lot of backlash from from the... Um, I, it's not just, like, black comic book fans, but just a lot of people had some issue with the fact that... Um, here was Marvel engaging with the hip hop culture. And in fact, uh, Marvel editor in chief, uh, Axel Alonso said that there had been a dialogue between hip hop and Marvel for a long time. And what a lot of people rebutted with was that in fact, it was a monologue of hip hop talking to Marvel and Marvel not talking back. Uh, and something that what David brothers wrote in a Tumblr post, he said, uh, one issue with Marvel publishing hip-hop thing covers in the wake of not hiring black creators is that a dialogue goes two ways. Axel Alonso said Marvel has been a long dialogue with rap music, but that isn't true. It's a long monologue from rap to Marvel with Marvel never really giving back like it should or could. And um, I, I think that the, the Ta-Nehisi Coates deal was already in the works when, when he wrote that. You know, So Marvel was probably like, no, just wait, wait a second. We have a really cool writer. Just hold on. Um, but anyway, you know, it's, it's, I mean, I can't think of a better rebuttal to that. I mean, it's still a lot of white people are writing for Marvel, but um, this, is, this is a good response. Um, and speaking of monologues, I just monologued for a long time about this. So, Dave, I just wanted to get some early thoughts from you on, on the news and, and everything. Oh, yeah. I mean, it seems like this is uh, happening right on the back of uh, last year's or last year, the last two years sort of being um, banner years for representation uh, for females in Marvel. And I may not 
feel like it. But the fact that, you know, we as a nation have a conversation about Black Widow's uh, representation in Age of Ultron and uh, Miss Marvel's incredible digital sales and the fact that Spider-Gwen sort of sold herself into being one of the few parallel universes that's going to survive the huge crossover event. Um, it it feels like um, representation is suddenly something that Marvel realizes is important in order to uh, provide something for all of their audience uh, that is going to motivate sales. And I sort of feel, I mean, this is me completely uh, backseat quarterbacking, but I feel like with Star Wars holding down the numbers of pre-sales that they have a little bit more uh, right to experiment in their hero universe, um, around the characters that aren't actively involved in the Ma- the Marvel Cinematic Universe, so those those kind of have to be in the same place uh, occasionally when a movie ends, so that people can pick up new comic books. But people like Miss Marvel or Spider Woman or Misty Knight, uh, up until she appears on Netflix, are like open open uh, season. Uh, in terms of uh, creators of minority representation status coming in and uh, doing cool things with them. So now I think we're focusing specifically on sort of reclaiming the black audience, which traditionally Marvel Comics was at least pretty okay at. Uh, You know, Luke Cage as Power Man and uh, Black Panther as leader of Wakanda, a nation that's never been uh, conquered, uh, like I talked about last week, were uh, really important. And so now they're trying to try to make them important again, but not uh, strip away some of the stuff uh, that made them uh, slightly racist just because they came from a time where that sort of portrayal was fine. It's basically like a Joe, Joe Wright uh, pan with white people again, uh, <laughs> but calling them Indians. Uh, they're going to, you know, try to smooth over some things uh, to recreate these characters for a new time. But I think it's interesting that the, the new hiring makes it seem that maybe they're going to look directly at the issue that maybe they used to be racist in their portrayal of these characters, uh, which is exciting to think about. Well, what's interesting is that, I mean, not only do you have these two um, characters, um, which are um, Black Panther and Luke Cage. We talked about the Luke Cage show last week. But, you know, the more you think about it, the more you think about how they represent two very different um, aspects of, of black men, with, with Luke Cage being this you know, former gangbanger, you know, street hero, and then um, Black Panther having, I mean, is it like, it's nobility, it's a ruling family, so it's almost like nobility, right? Like, yeah, yeah. so, uh, of an African nation. So, I, you know, I think it's really interesting to approach it from these two different angles, and continue to expand, because, you know, we can all contain frickin' multitudes, of course. Um, but I think with Luke Cage, also, they have a really interesting opportunity to not only not only address their audience that they might have been neglecting for a while, but engage in a very important conversation that's going on in America right now about black men and police officers and, you know, that sort of thing. And the fact that Luke Cage can and has withstood a volley of NYPD bullets and, you know, is impervious to them could make for just a very interesting story if that's the direction they choose to go in. So, um, yeah. Uh, the other thing we want to talk about, oh, and, the, you know, something that a friend of mine who listens to this podcast brought, brought up to me after listening to last week's podcast, um, because I'm so, you know, just have 
the dorkiest music taste. I did not know that the Wu-Tang Clan had this like huge history with Marvel, which I read about this week and was so interested in. And, and you know, and a lot of like hip hop, yes, has been monologuing at Marvel for a long time. So the fact that Marvel with the hip hop theme co- covers and then actually engaging in storylines um, is uh, is talking back is, is really cool and interesting to me. Um, and then the other thing we want to talk about uh, related to this is how it's not just, you know, expanding in, in this direction, but also the fact that um, the new Hulk, I meant to talk about this last week. I, I think it's really cool news that the new Hulk is, is the character is Amadeus Cho, who's been a sidekick of Bruce Banner for a long time. He's Korean American. Amadeus Cho, who is Korean American and also the creator's, uh, the the writer and the artist on this book are also at least um, partially Korean, so I I just think that's that's a really interesting, cool direction to go in with with Hulk, and you know something. Stop me! Am I monologuing too much? Do you do you want to weigh in on anything I said? Sorry. No, no, that's good. I mean, okay. it's, it's all he's the totally awesome Hulk, and it's uh, Greg Pak and Frank Cho are the names of the people working on the book uh the same guy who did uh planet hulk so i'm i'm in amadeus cho is a cool character but i mean also representation yeah but it's it's like it's, it's a weird we're doing it with the hulk but like that's cool i mean i guess my question to you joanna is do you see this as the next step or is it like a pivot from simply recasting well-known heroes as black, be it uh, Miles Morales, Spider-Man, or a Michael B. Jordan uh, Human Torch. Well, the other... So this is the other thing that that I was talking with my friend about after our episode last week, and he brought up this notion that um, if you have Jane as Thor and you have Amadeus Cho as a Hulk and Kitty Pryde as Star Lady or whatever... um, an interesting thing that that brings up is that um, you take these characters who are side characters who are marginalized for some reason or another, who are not white guys named Chris, what have you. And um, you say, Hey, these people are important. You should pay attention to them. They, they matter. And for some reason, I think that is even a little bit more powerful than a Miles Morales, but Miles Morales is very, very cool. I'm not, I'm not, you know, knocking on Miles Morales at all. But to say, hey, I mean, like, my understanding, I don't read whole comics. My understanding is that Amadeus Cho has been a popular character, a popular side character. It's as if um, uh, Cisco on Flash were all of a sudden the Flash, right? Like, like a beloved side character is now. I mean, sure. We we like him more than other other Hulk side characters. Okay. Yes. But, you know, you're like, "Hey, uh, hey... this guy, we're going to put him, you know, the white guy named Chris, the white guy named Mark, the white guy named Edward, the white guy named uh, Eric Roll. Yeah. No, I know. I was just naming the actors. Uh, yeah. <laughs> to go with the white guy named Chris thing. But yes, Bruce Banner. We're, you know, we're going to put them in front and center. And for some reason, I just think that's even a little bit more powerful. And so, yeah, same thing with Sam Wilson being being Captain America. Um, I, I think it's cool. I think it's um Do you like I, that better but, but, or worse no. than rehabbing old black heroes. 
What I, um, oh, I don't know. I don't know if I, I, if I've read enough to say better or worse. And so I, I, and I don't think I have a strong opinion about the concept of it, but what I will say is that, um, I, I also endorse new characters being created, you know, like, like we see with rat queens or saga, something like that, new characters where you don't have to take a white, you know, straight male or white, straight female or whatever, and and recast them as the minority, that you can expand diversity through original storytelling. But a lot of large brands can't think that creatively and um, or are, are or afraid to. don't necessarily have the, lati- the latitude to do that with as right. many characters. Like, we have, uh, you know, the uh, Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur that we're going to uh, touch upon right now, apparently, uh, that has a new... Uh, <laughs> black yeah. character with devil dinosaur and then you know we get that but then we also have to you know gotta have a captain america book and gotta have a spider-man book so you you know you swap out some representation characters for there i mean i don't i don't want to say that like this is enough but i'm kind of impressed with how much marvel is committing to it yeah uh, and it's certainly been i mean what you're talking about with rad queens and uh, saga are definitely the direction i would like things to go in but those are smaller labels that have right. a little bit more mobility uh, it's nice to see, especially with things like I talked about, uh, Secret Wars, Secret Love, seeing a comic that's just about like Misty Knight and Iron Fist being in a romantic relationship. Like those things, it's it's like uh, it's opening up part of the continuity without having to rehab it, which I think is the most effectively. It's been interesting to me to see um how they deal with all of these characters uh taking on mantles uh i don't think jane has really dealt with what it means to be a thor and to be jane yet but definitely for uh miles morales and sam wilson uh they've had to deal with you know what it means to take on their their mantle of a hero and so it's going to be interesting to see with these characters like luke cage and black panther who are already heroes to skip like that reckoning and just suddenly be a differently oriented version of themselves. It I, could be really exciting and it could be really dangerous. I'm just, I guess for you, who's somebody who's um, meeting all these characters for the first time, is it easier for you to contextualize or get excited about them when it is a reinvention that you at least know where it's coming from? Or are you like all ready to see what Black Panther is just because it has a good author and like the rumbling of a good idea behind it? Yeah, you know, I think both. I, I, I'm interested in both. Like I, I am really interested in, in this Black Panther book for a lot of reasons. Um, and it's great timing with the phone coming out. And yeah, I just, I think it's a, it's a good way to know this to get to know this character is like, let's get a great author. And, and when, um, Ta-Nehisi Coates spoke to the New York times about writing this book, all he just kept saying over and over again was like, I just want to write a really good book, you know? And I mean, I know that sounds kind of like a does statement, but that's not the first thing that everyone says, you know, the fact that his, I think when we talk about issues of a diversity, some people get a little um, worried that the emphasis is more on diversity than it is actual good storytelling, you know? So for ta to keep reiterating, like, yeah, it's cool. It's, I'm, I'm a cool writer who writes about race relations, and I'm going to write back Black Panther. That is fucking cool. 
But also, I just want to write a good story. Like, let's take that whole angle out of it. I just want a great story that stands on its own feet. Um, so I'm really excited about that book. Yeah, it's going to be nice. And also in that New York Times article, he talks about how he's been admiring Jonathan Hickman's Build the Secret Wars, which we've been talking about, which is a nice way to sort of name check that he's in it for like the long-term development of character and theme, which is uh, the, the all good, the way you want it to go. Excellent. Um, is there anything else you want to talk about in terms of this this sort of this movement, the story? And I'm interested to hear what people think about it, too. Um, is there anyone out there? I mean, I think mostly our audience, we've like beaten our audience into submission enough that they're, they're ready for us to talk about diversity a lot in comic books. Cause that's a favorite subject of both yours and mine, I think. Um, but if there's anyone out there who, who is, who is worried about what this direction means for comic books, I'd be interested to hear, um, you know, not, I mean, not I can a- try devil's advocating at that because I do, I understand where people are coming from who, think that the whole mantle switching thing I was talking about before is sort of like a an empty thing that could or could not ruin characters you know like I could, I could see where that's coming from especially somebody who like grew up with a version of Spider-Man that is one of the unpopular versions of Spider-Man like I understand when like it feels like something's getting taken away from you I'm just not sure if we've seen that happen yet I would be interested in hearing from people that have examples of characters that they felt like once they were replaced, and it doesn't even have to be pro diversity. It's just like once they were replaced, they weren't even like interesting to them anymore. Mm, because yeah. I think that does happen in comics and has nothing to do with race necessarily. But that's definitely where some of these arguments uh, are coming from. Oh no, sure. I mean, like Wally West is white, right? Yes. Yeah, so someone could be like, Barry Allen's my Flash. Fuck you, Wally West. I don't want to read your comic. You know, like, yeah, I can definitely see a new character being slotted in, someone just being, or, I mean, that happens with Doctor Who every fucking day, and those are all white dudes. So, like, you know, yeah, I can see you just going, well, okay, this isn't the character that I was invested in, so I'm going to move on. And it doesn't make you a racist at all. And it can make you sad that you're no longer, I get sad that I'm no longer as excited about Doctor Who. So you can get sad that you're no longer as excited about Thor. Um Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur looks way cute, and I'm really excited about it. Um, you know, and it is it is a young African American girl. Uh, it does have two white writers, and so no, you don't have to be the the race of the character that you're writing. You don't have to be a dinosaur to write Devil Dinosaur. Like certainly not. Um, but I can see the frustration when you know this is the whole thing that got Mad Demon in trouble, right? Uh, it's not just about having different colored faces on the page. It's about having different voices, putting bringing those faces to life. You know, so um, I'm I'm really happy to see this from Marvel. It's a big it's big news, big news. And Devil Dinosaur lived through Secret Wars, where Yay! you know I mean, he lived. Uh, yeah, he's in the Planet Hulk uh, storyline, which is also a storyline about how much uh, Steve and Bucky love each other. So. <laughs> it's been it's it's good it's gonna be interesting to see what he does in the marvel universe uh paired with little girl little girls and dinosaurs that sounds like a comic book i'm ready to read seriously well and i said this off air but i i i kind of feel like i mean maybe this is not fair but i kind of feel like uh marvel's trying to get a little bit in on the action that that boom uh studios is they're they're angling so many of their comic books towards uh, young women 
So not that you need to be a young woman to enjoy a little girl and her dinosaur adventures, but uh, it might be that they're they're sort of like, hey, uh, let's get in on that thing. So. All right. Well, then that's about it for us this week. Uh, please do send us your emails, bubbleyourthoughts at gmail.com. If you are reading Captain America White, we got a great email that I forgot to read on air. Um, but thank you so much for sending it in. Uh, or if you're reading any of the, the Flash comics and want to write about that, please send us your speedster questions. I'm actually going to harass you on Twitter to send me a bunch of questions because we got to keep Dave organized here. So please send us all your burning questions about the Flash and fast moving superheroes in general yeah. so that we can address it uh next week on air we're gonna we're gonna focus on the ones that we're gonna probably see on the tv series this season but i'll try to be as expansive and complete as possible no yes we'll 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 make it work uh dave where can people find your work in the meantime oh i'm sorry i just got confused thinking about the difference between impulse and inertia those are the same character they're clones ones from the future anyway <clears throat> you could find me on Twitter at DA7E, podcasting at fightinginthewarroom.com, and writing at geek.com, latino-review.com, and forbes.com. I'm Joanna Robinson. You can find me most days on vanityfair.com, or you can follow me on Twitter at JoeRothis, where I will be harassing you to uh, send us some questions. Here to play us out. Nope, we don't do that on this show. No, yeah, uh, but we, we should have something play us out, though. Yeah. Here to play us out is some awesome comic book themed music that Dave has found somewhere. X-Men who try to marvel Galactus behind the star of Aristotle Thanos, the definition of space ghost Use out of warlock as my scapegoat Now the son of Titan got the sun behind him Wanna lead the world like a crumbled Mayan From Captain America to Doctor Strange Now I don't know what Norman Osborn did to my brain Peter Parker picked a spider But I'm more like the devil Pick Johnny Blaze the Ghost Rider I'm Doctor Doom with the arms of Octavius Washer Throne the Blackberry, some called the craziest The mental organism designed only for killing Modoc, my ego is oh so fulfilling Fight till I'm dead like Omega Red The real weapon X7, Wolverine's head Fin Fang Foom, I'm the dragon master Just a nightcrawler who cannot be captured Move over Magneto, this is Nathaniel SX The age of apocalypse, the world is my crevice Now I'm not an Iron Man or a war machine I'm feeling this like Stan Lee's horrid dreams in Summoner, who was raised by a pharaoh The birthplace of evil infused in the marrow So call me the professor, but you can say Xavier I'll lock you in the danger room for bad behavior Prepare for the onslaught, my sentinel army With symbiote suits, so nothing can harm me The carnage is catastrophic, like Eddie Brock is A snake in the garden, and Venom's my prophet I'm always stunting, like Quentin Beck Better known as Mysterio, a holographic threat 360 degrees, a Hulk smash and turn your physique into debris Then use the cosmic cube to demolish you And expose my red skull for common view This ain't a secret war but a war more civil And you look at a place like Hawkeye with a pistol My heart's black like the Widow, black like the Panther I'm not Nick Fury, I don't have the answers with the hammer Thor I dismantle your core, who really gives a fuck what the shield stands for The Croc Rhino